Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? All right. You know, I love Russell because, you know, he doesn't get it. And a lot of addicts that go undiagnosed that haven't gotten help, they don't get it either. There's a part of them that thinks that they are the way they are and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just boys being boys or just sexuality playing itself out. There are a lot of people who really struggle with not liking what they're doing. But the compulsion, the desire, the urges and the craving are so strong that even though there's a part of them that knows that it's absolutely wrong. They, they negate that to continue the behavior. That's one of the criteria for sex addiction. And so I get that Russell doesn't know what he doesn't know. Now you may be going, who's Russell? Well, Russell's the trucker who says, you know, I have traveled all 50 states and and, you know, I know what I want. And I hope it's not a problem because I go after it. Well, if you're somebody who's indulging in sexually acting out and you're keeping it a secret and you either feel bad about it yourself individually or you have a family, a wife, a husband, and you're keeping that secret from them, that's a problem. What that does is it keeps you in isolation. And then that feeds the addiction. And so it becomes an auto-exacerbating situation. Now, you've heard me say it before, because I've really been working with my group on this. You know, there are these 30 recovery tasks that are not linear, but they are important, and Patrick Carnes came up with them. And they're amazing stuff. It's from his recovery zone book, The Internal Tasks. The first task is to break through denial. You know, I was working with a couple the other day, and what I knew was that he knew how to spin the situation to make his wife look crazy. And she was um, irrationally reactive. But that oftentimes is part of trauma. And so 
breaking through the denial means we've got to help the addict understand that they are in a state of denial, that they're minimizing, they're rationalizing, they're justifying um, their behavior to make it look less than destructive, less than impactful, less than disrespectful. And when we break through that denial, the next step is to help him or her understand the addiction. To understand that this is not a problem of moral failure, although it certainly looks like it. But in reality, what it is, is a brain science problem where the addict has established behaviors that are are now providing neurocircuitry that needs a charge, that needs a fix. It is exactly like cocaine. And so if we help the addict, male or female, understand addiction, they're more likely to achieve task number three, which is to surrender to it. To say to oneself, and in actuality, I, I have lots of addicts that go, I hate that word, surrender. But what it really means is accept. Accept that they've got this issue and they need to do something about it. And when they surrender, they are able to do something about it. Now, when they do something about it, they're able to limit the damage that they're causing to themselves, to their body, to their mind, to their families, to their work, to their community. You name it, they're able to limit the damage. And then they really establish task number five, good sobriety and physical integrity, task number six. And they do that by creating a culture of support. That may be a 12-step program. That may be um, every man's battle. That may be Recovery Nation, an online group. That may be Celebrate Recovery. I don't know how you're going to get there, but what I do know is that it's most important to seek a group that specifically deals with sex addiction. My own personal bias, even though I love Celebrate Recovery, is that if you can't talk openly about your sexual addiction, you stay in the shadows. And, you know, that's what Patrick Carnes talked about, staying in the shadows. That's why he named the book Out of the Shadows. So those are the first seven recovery tasks. And I really want you, if you're listening to this show and you suspect you've got a problem, to go to my website and take the test, that's sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com or sexhelp.com and take the test and see if it indicates that you've got a problem. And if you do, then you look for a therapist in your area. That's the best thing you can do to get the help you need. Now, you know me. I work with individuals and help them with their sobriety, whether it be male or female, young or old. And if they're in a relationship, if they have an active family, we work on the relationship together. And I am so super excited, so jazzed to tell you that on Wednesday, my book is coming out. So if you could... (laughs) Go to Amazon and buy the book. And it is a book for addicts who want to help their partner heal. It's called Help, period, her, period, heal. Now, you know me, guys. I don't ever advertise for myself. That's not what this show is about, but I am jazzed about this because it's an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And it goes through the steps of, what one can do to make 
restitution, to make repairs in a fractured relationship, to build trust while working on oneself. So I know this book is um, about male sex addicts to help their wives heal, but I hope if you're gay or if you're a female sex addict that you'll be able to understand that this book can help your partner too. Um, Well, if you're a female sex addict or a gay sex addict, this will work for you. You just got to change the pronouns. And I'm just sorry that I couldn't make it more gender neutral. Um, I've thought about and may still change these books to being gender neutral. But in the meantime, I hope you all go out to Amazon and do that. Just put my name in. Carol Jurgensen Sheets, that's J-U-E-R-G-E-N-S-E-N, Sheets, with co-author Alan J. Katz. Uh, he wrote about eight submissions that are just fabulous. And you've got to use this workbook because it helps her heal by developing empathy skills and reflective listening and mirroring and understanding the brain science behind her trauma. And it gets you to look at the timelines, the dual timelines of your own addiction and your relationship and why it feels like such a double betrayal. Again, that is help.her.heal, and it comes out this Wednesday. Amazon, because when you go to Amazon, I mean, you can go to Sano's Press. S-A-N-O-S, press. However, what I know to be true is that Amazon is kind of the um, the score of how well a book does. So, of course, I'd like this book to do well. But you know what? I really don't care. I don't care. I hope you know that. All I want is for this book to help you. And that's why we've got help dot her heal. And it's also why I really wanted to um have Brian and Jennifer on. First and foremost, they're a recovering couple. And they're gonna share their experience, their strength and hope, and how they got to couples recovery. They have a common vision that hope is within reach, that healing from sexual addiction is possible, and that marriages can survive and flourish in recovery from sexual addiction. Now, I know if you're in the midst of a relationship, you may say, oh, my gosh, how does that happen? But I promise you it can because you've heard me say it before. When you do your recovery and when you help your partner heal, Wow, you become incredibly resilient and healthy, practicing the right relational skills, and you just make it your own, and that is what is so important, to make it your own. Now, Brian is a licensed professional counselor. He's a CSAT through ITAP, just like myself. He's also a certified sex offender treatment provider. And he, like so many of us, a.k.a. me too, is working on uh, training and being certified in the EMDR, which is that eye movement desensitization reprocessing that so many of us do for trauma, for the sex addict, and trauma for the partner. Um, And so it can be very, very helpful. And they're going to talk about the principles that they live by and some tips that will help you to strengthen your relationship. Even if you're single, I think you'll really enjoy this show because there will be a time that you will find somebody that you want to invest in. And, you know, this stuff can be hard initially. There's so much shame that goes with it. The addict carries the shame while the partner carries the pain. You know, that's my slogan, even though I don't really any longer believe that truly, but I do believe it's partially true. 
And um, I just really know for a fact that we can help couples and couples can recover and they can be stronger. I said it on another show the other day. I said just in the same way as when you break a bone. You know, I got to tell you, I have probably broken in my adulthood hmm, seven or eight bones. I get out and work out every single day, but I got to tell you, I broke my back going to a fitness trainer. I broke one shoulder uh, camping with kids at a residential treatment center. I broke the other clavicle. (laughs) Um, I was tubing. What else did I do? Oh, I was roller skating, and I broke my arm. I was roller blading, and I broke my wrist. And the beautiful thing about these breaks is that it got me to slow down. Yeah, right. Oh, and did I say, oh, yeah, I said I broke right back. But the other thing is when a bone heals, it's stronger. That part that has been ruptured, that has been fractured, that has been broken is actually stronger. And so i got to tell you, when that happens, there's nothing better than being able to you know, make a bone stronger so that if I were going to fall again, hey, that area wouldn't break because of all the um, scar tissue, because of the strengthening of the tissue. And so that's what we really believe. Brian, Jennifer, and myself believe that if you've gone through this, you can be the best person ever way better than you were before the addiction and twice or three times as strong because the addiction has taught you recovery skills and that's what I want you to know. So I'm really excited to have Brian and Jennifer on the show. Welcome guys to Sex Help with Carol DeCote. Hi Carol. Hi there. It's very nice to finally talk with you uh, in person. Absolutely. We're fellow CSATs, and we know how important it is for couples and sex addicts to get the right kind of help. Huh, Brian? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, very much so. Hi, Carol. I'm grateful to be along for the ride tonight. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Obviously, you're Brian's wife, and you currently work within a large school division, and you have really made it your mission to help couples with recovery skills and tips that they need. And so we so appreciate that from you because really, in some ways, you were collateral damage. I mean, you were just a byproduct of the pain that this sexual addiction caused. So thank you so much for being on the show. I know you're really a member of Al-Anon. Yeah. You've been a member yes, for ma'am. 30 years. Tell us a yes, little I bit have. about that. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, tell us about your spouse's group. Sure, sure. Well, I um, I have just taken so much from Al-Anon over the years. It's just been truly a lifesaver for me. I, I consider myself an adult child, and I have a family member who is deeply impacted by addiction. And I have also have an ex-husband who was deeply impacted by um, um, substance abuse and addiction. And so long before I ever met Brian, I was deeply involved with Al-Anon and just really learned the blessings of the 12-step program and um, was deeply, deeply committed to, to that path um, to the degree that when I met Brian and we had um, he, he disclosed that he was uh, a sex addict in recovery. Um, you know, it's not that I didn't blink an eye. I, I blinked a little bit. But I knew that he was committed to recovery. And, and from my own experience with Al-Anon, I knew that um, I knew the faith, the hope, um, and, and the healing that was available and, and the grace that comes when you commit to recovery. And um, and therefore was willing to to take a leap with him and and to um, to 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 go on this ride with him. 
So oh, that's um, incredible. Yeah. And so, so and Brian, I, can I, I can. I, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I, I can actually say I'm one of those people who can actually say that I am grateful that addiction has come into our lives because um, I, we, we together have experienced the grace that comes through the program. And just as you were saying earlier, there are things that, that I've learned and experiences that, that we've come through together that we never would have encountered had we not um, gone through recovery and gone through recovery as a couple and been able to be with other couples in recovery. And um, I, I know that the bonds and connection that we have now is something that is not possible. I, I can't imagine how it would be possible without the grace that, that we experience through recovery. Well, and that's a great lead in, Jennifer, in terms of, Brian, tell us a little bit about your addiction. How did you know it was not just part of being a guy? How did you know it was an addiction? Well, the first realization that I that I had uh, uh, addictive behavior really uh, dates back to um, the early 90s. Uh, part of my story, Cheryl, is that one time I was a Roman Catholic priest um, uh, in, a, in a diocese on the eastern um, seaboard and uh, realized a, uh, an issue with um, sometimes – uh, looking at images, and then uh, in my final assignment as a as a priest, I um, uh, got really depressed. So I went through a program, and that's uh, when I first really embraced the twelve steps. I started going to um, at that time uh, sex and love addicts anonymous meetings, and then eventually settled on uh, uh, sex addicts or excuse me, uh, sexaholics anonymous, which I through the grace of God, have uh, sustained uh, sobriety. So um, I realized that at a relatively young age, maybe um, in my early to mid-30s, that I had an issue um, uh, with this. And and like many addicts, I struggled with looking at uh, pornography on the Internet. Uh, This was uh, after I discerned to leave the priesthood. Uh, That was an issue for me uh, a long time ago. Wow. So, you know, oftentimes there are lots of reasons to feel that shame and pain. And in some ways you felt the shame twofold because you knew you were deceiving the people that you love, but to be Uh, a priest and to have to uphold something that you absolutely couldn't uphold. So how did you break through that denial? I was talking with my listening audience about that is the first recovery task that Patrick Carnes teaches us is to help clients break through denial. So how did that happen for you? Well, I, you know, Carol, it's interesting. In a sense, I never, I, I knew what I was doing was um, uh, a problem for me. I knew that it, there was an issue my denial was essentially not um, using the tools to um, not to not using the tools to stay stopped. Uh, as as we know, working with uh, many people in recovery, particularly men, it's not so much stopping; it's staying stopped. So I would have some sobriety, but then uh, through anxiety, frustration, and uh, uh, stress would just return to my uh, pattern. So my denial really, Carol, was not uh, recognizing that I needed to completely submit myself to a program of recovery. And when that, when I did that, and the catalyst for that was my relationship with, with Jennifer, um, that's what really enabled me to uh, have sustained sobriety. Oh, that's fantastic. So that relationship helped you to really make the decision that this was something you needed to do for yourself and for Jennifer. Yeah, and and this was and this was up up to about the time you know, up to the, the time that we met each other. And by the way, today is an anniversary for us in that 
it was uh, 14 years ago. This day we met each other. We have a very funny story that maybe we could squeeze in as far as uh, how that first date came about. Uh, but it occurred on this day back in 2005 in the um, um, in uh, the central Virginia area where we where we reside. <laughs> but yeah, the cat. Okay, don't me. squeeze it in. I want you to tell us right now what's the funny story. Well, let's better for. Well, it was really simply. It was just we we used an online dating app, and in our in our maturity, it, it seemed kind of absurd. But um, I actually I, I picked him online because I saw where he had gone to college, and I thought, ah, at least he'll know how to think, and and um, maybe we'll have some good conversations. And I didn't necessarily think he'd be a good date, but I thought he'd be a good friend. And so I we we met each other for breakfast because I thought that would be good and safe. And sure enough, it it was more than safe. It was it was a good match for us. Well, I can tell Brian that Jennifer is very gracious, and obviously, she's uh-huh. on the other side of betrayal. I mean, she's in full fledged recovery and and couples recovery, so. Continue. Tell us a little bit about what motivated you to really get clean. Tell us how you did that. And then how did you take your life to the next level and decide you wanted to help other addicts and become a CSAC? Well, what I said a few moments ago um, was the essence of uh, how I got clean is that it was the reality of day-to-day living. Uh, with with someone uh, literally uh, uh, sleeping in the same bed that enabled me to have uh, accountability because um, in my family of origin, I was the only boy. So I, I had my own room growing up. And, um, and then I went uh, into the seminary at a young age and then um, became a priest at the age of 27. So I had been literally living by myself for the first uh, half of my life. Um, and um, that um, that's just, you know, priests, we make a celibate commitment. We uh, live by ourselves, and then we um, we go ahead with um, what we do, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but my, that, that at the same time, that, that, isolation at times uh, was, in a sense, a, um, uh, uh, the groundspring, so to speak, of my, of my addictive behavior. So again, literally then uh, uh, living with Jennifer, we got married, and then the accountability that was built into that day-to-day. And for me, Carol, the last thing, Jennifer keeps reaching uh, when she wants to speak here. But I've always been a momentum person, um, Carol. If I do something for X number of days, X number of weeks, X number of months, and now X number of years, that's what really helps me to grow in my recovery. Um, and, you know, literally uh, the brain neurons have changed in my head, as you've spoken about many times, uh, what's now uh, wired together is and now choosing recovery on a day-to-day basis. Okay, and one other question, because our listening audience may inquire. Now, you were a priest or you were in school to become a priest? I was I was a priest, yes. I was a priest for a number of years. But it's, it, he was, it's not... He was a okay. priest and then he... And then, yeah, and then he left. Um, because he wanted to have an opportunity to marry, and it was years after that, 10 years after he left the priesthood that he and I met each other. Okay, yes, because I wondered if you were the reason that he left the priesthood, but not at all. No, I, oh, not at all, not even close. <laughs> but and I, what, I, I left, and nine years later I met Jennifer. Yeah. So one thing I want to be really clear about is that it was not immediately easy for us. We, um, when we first got together, there were a lot of struggles. And Brian had, there was some relapse in our early relationship. And 
it boy, I got to tell you, it was really rough. The first four or five years were really, really rough for us. And in fact, we we even separated for a time. Um, we both had some just a lot of codependent issues that we had to work through, and and um, it it was really, really rocky and rough. And we ended up going out to um, the Meadows. We went out for an intensive couples therapy week out at the Meadows in Arizona and um, really got some some serious um, therapy, couples therapy, and um, in recovery and using the language of recovery and using the principles of, of PM Melody's work. And um, it... That really helped us to break through. It, it helped us to really understand where the other was coming from, and and really see the other's wounds and the other's um, addictions and codependencies, and um, really helped us to see with compassion um, what was going on. And um, and I gotta say, since we did that, that intensive work with the help of a good therapist and then back home with the help of a a good CSAT and and couples therapist, um, things have been so much better and and our recovery has been so much better. And in fact, one, one of the things that we walked away with, and this is one of our tips, is just a very clear understanding that there's his side of the street with his recovery there's my side of the street with my recovery, and then there's the couple's portion of the street with the things that we need to attend to together. And just being really clear of when things come up, which lane those eruptions might be in. Like if it's on his side of the street, I've got to let him take care of it and trust his program and his sponsor and, and, and his his recovery. And likewise, when it's something on my side, he's got to trust my recovery and my program and my accountability partner. And when it's something that we need to attend to together, then we've got to play fair and we've got to really figure it out together. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I am an APSATS trained therapist. And so one of the Mm -hmm. things that we know at APSATS is that this, Sex addiction affects the person individually, and, of course, it affects the relationship. And so in some ways, they're fused. I mean, you have a right, this is our school of thought, you have a right to understand about his recovery and and, and know what he's doing. You don't have a right to dictate what he needs to be doing. So will you share with our listening audience a little bit more about those three sides of the street. What does that mean? His sure. side, your side, and the couples. Okay. Sure. So if, you know, it, it's real easy as a wife to see what he's doing and say, oh, you need to do A, B, or C. But if it's something that's related to his his addiction and his recovery in his addiction, then all I need to say is, you know, when's the last time you spoke to your sponsor or, you know, just that little nudge of, you know, I've noticed something and, um, or even at these days, I don't even have to say it because we we have our our daily check-ins and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But in the course of doing our check-ins with each other in our integrity and in our, our, our honesty with each other, those things come out. And I absolutely trust the 12-step program, and I absolutely trust him to work it and know that he knows the consequences when he doesn't work his program. And, and you know, now it's gotten to the point where it, it affects way too much. The, the, the cost of him not working his program would be way too, too high. The stakes are so high now that I can't even imagine us going back um, that that's just where where things have gotten, and I know it's hard for him too to see me struggling with my own um, codependent behaviors or my own issues, and and you know he's he's not going to play therapist for me. He's he's not going to jump on my side of the street. It's 
He may ask if I want to hear some feedback, and he may give me some some feedback. And, you know, I, I need to take it to my own therapist or to my own program or to my own accountability partner. So, Carol, to, to then say about, you know, the coupleship, the, the third mm-hmm. rail, so to speak, it's what we've covered in our, in our tip that we've done. We do a check-in in the morning, so we do um, physically I feel, emotionally I feel. And then Jennifer asked me a while ago, um, in the aftermath of a relapse a number of years ago to say uh, whether I'm sober. So I say I'm sober and recovering um, every morning. That's a uh, reassurance on her part. And plus it holds, holds me accountable. Um, and then um, then we will then we'll talk about just what's happening in our day. And then at night we do a, a gratitude list. And we decided to do that once we got back together in 2012, after we spent that time uh, at the Meadows, uh, we moved from one part of Virginia to another. And what we decided to do, and we did put this in our tip, and I just thought of this, is we decided not to have a TV in our room. Um, so it doesn't mean we still, you know, we might not listen to things at night and all that, but we decided that have a TV, um, not, not to have a TV in our room. And that's, that's been helpful as far as creating a sense of um, quiet and peacefulness when, when we particularly go to bed. So those are the uh, her side of the street, my side of the street, and uh, what we do together. And we both um, come out of experiences where um, we've both done a lot of individual work. We know each other's stuff. Uh, now that I'm a, a licensed therapist and all that, I'm very conscious of not trying to uh, – Play Jennifer's uh, therapist. She reminds me of that very clearly. <laughs> so that's kind of my so. Got it. You know, um, I really agree with that. Not having a TV in the bedroom because obviously you do need time to wind down, but you also may use the bedroom to really discuss or feel intimacy. And it sounds like your yeah. check-in in the morning and in the evening really contributes to that intimacy and that safety and not having a TV in your bedroom keeps you from being distracted. Yeah. And we both have so right now about- are dealing, just briefly dealing with um, some family uh, uh, issues regarding health and then where I work. Someone's really sick there too. So we spend some time talking about that. So please go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so one more time, share what your morning check-in is like and then what your evening check-in is like. Sure. So our morning check-in is very simply um, in the morning um, we'll take turns and, and we'll say, well, emotionally I feel this way and physically I feel this way. And it really, it just helps to, to talk about what we're feeling emotionally because we both have a little bit of, you know, morning nerves and, oh, what am I going to deal with at work? And rather than being, like, cycling through it in our mind and sort of isolating from each other and maybe looking for ways to avoid our feelings, we just say what our feelings are and, and make a connection with each other. And then we follow upon that with the, um, with the seven-step prayer which is from the 12-step tradition, um, and we've written that down and, and have shared that with you. And then we, we also follow it with um, some personal prayers um, from our own faith tradition. We may pray for family members or, or for our day or, or for people who have asked us to pray for them along the way. So that's our morning check-in, and it really is, it's, it's, it's a time to sort of jump the track of, you know, sometimes I I want to just jump on a gerbil wheel first thing in the morning, and and or at least that's what my habit is. But when we check in with each other, we, we make that connection, and um, that's so so helpful for both of us to make that intimate connection with each other, and then also to connect with our faith and our higher power. And then in the evening, our um, just sharing what we're grateful for, um, and again, following upon that with a, a seven-step prayer 
from the 12-step tradition has just been so very common for both of us. And also it, it just it's a chance to connect again. You know, because, well, you know, I mean, goodness sakes, addiction is all about that lack of authentic connection. And um, and when we authentically connect with each other in the morning and at night, it just it just builds a richness into our relationship. So we've been uh, so, doing that, Carol, for about seven years now, and it, it's really it's just so much a part of our day to day relationship. And even when one or the other happens to not be there, for example, Jennifer's going to be away uh, later this summer on a training, so she'll be gone for 10 days, but we, we still will talk to each other and just do the same thing in the morning and then before we go to bed at night. Okay, and so let our listening audience know. Um, repeat from the AA Big Book, the seventh step prayer. Sure. Uh, my creator. I am now willing that, that you should, should have, have all of me, good, good and bad. bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. And then in the course of that with each other, we also will name our character defects with each other. And it's just a way of our being authentic to each other and transparent to each other. Oh, absolutely. Um, And so each one of you, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listening audience one character defect that you know shows up that that you admit to the other person. We all have them. Uh, Sure. For me, it's fear. And and my fear is just a runaway train. And, um, and, And if I if I don't name it and call it out and you know, name it every chance I get, then it runs away, and it be, that fear can become suspicion, and and then turn to anger and frustration, and and wear all kinds of different clothes. But at the base of it, it is always fear. For me, Carol, I mean this consistently for a number of years. It's um, uh, perfectionism. Uh, I expect myself to um, always get it right and or should have known better. And another one for me periodically is resentment. So I usually name who or what I'm resentful about or towards who. Yeah, I'm sure our listening audience can really relate to those two very common um, character defects. I mean, I feel like fear rules us all, and that's something that, again... Your 12-step work and your openness and honesty, authenticity and transparency, each other knows what's going on deep inside of you. And that, that really is intimacy, isn't it? Yes, it, it sure is. is. It, it sure is. is. Well, and I'm a believer that, you know, you were talking, Brian, about resentment and any type of anger, if brought out in the open and handled appropriately, Well, that kind of conflict actually breeds intimacy. It may not feel good at first to hear about what it might entail, but when you bring it out and share it and oftentimes negotiate and compromise around it, you feel closer to the other person. Would you agree with that? Yes, I do. Okay, so you would advise our listening audience, you're just sharing what's worked for you, your own hope, strength, and recovery, you would you believe that the serenity prayer and the seventh step prayer have really helped to um, solidify and bond the two of you? Yes, very much so. Yeah, we uh, we learned a while ago, Carol, even before we got more deeply into recovery, to use the serenity prayer uh, prior to any um, significant discussion. And that includes, and I, I say this somewhat humorously, but discussing about finances. Yeah, any time that we, we know that we're likely to feel triggered or um, I particularly am get or have a history of being triggered about money, 
And so I, we just have to surrender and, and just you know, put ourselves in that frame of mind that, okay, we're, we're entering into to work that could be a, a minefield here. And um, just know that, okay, Brian knows that this is something that triggers me. And, and we've, we've, we've come to a, a point in our relationship where we can recognize when one or the other is triggered by something. And, and when we see that that's happening and, and we're, our conversation is starting to escalate into an argument, one or the other of us will just say, hey, you know what, we're feeling triggered right now. And it's not you're triggered or, or you know, it's not to be accusing, but we're triggered right now. And so let, let's just table this conversation until we can um, until we can calm down and using that language the we just really helps to you know because if brian would say oh i see you're triggered my response is what do you mean and get out of my business and don't play therapist because of course i'm triggered but if he just says we're triggered right now or if i say we're triggered right now um it just gives us a chance to calm down and and realize, oh, okay, we've we've just stepped on a mind into a minefield, and we have to tread lightly. and And before we can then continue that conversation, we need to go into the serenity prayer, trusting that our higher power and the tools that we've learned in recovery are going to have to assist us to get through that negotiation or that conversation. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, and. I I think it is so important for couples to understand how to work with those triggers because obviously yeah. triggers are something that you may know can occur. I mean, obviously, when there's finances that are going to be discussed, one could assume that that's going to be a tough time for you and may engage in a trigger. But then there are times that triggers occur for no known reason. And when your partner can really yeah. help you with the trigger makes a world of difference. So how do the two of you do that? How do you help each other? Well, it's, it's, that, that's a really, really good question, Carol, because my history is that uh, my father was an adult child of an alcoholic. And um, so he was often easily triggered. And I grew up either uh, trying to avoid him when he was like that, or I'd react angrily to that and just, and, and and just not have much acceptance from that. And so when that has occurred, um, sometimes uh, with Jennifer, what I've learned to do is to uh, not um, invalidate how she's feeling at that moment. And that takes a lot of work for me to do that. But that's something that, that's that split second that we often talk about where it's the um, uh, the amygdala that's activated, but then the, the prefrontal cortex jumps in and says, now Jennifer's triggered, and what she's really happening here, she's afraid of something, or she's stressed about something, she's mad about something, it really has nothing to do with me, and if I just allow her to be that way, I'm getting better at that, I'm working on that, and um, I think it's really, really helped a lot in our relationship because as you just said a moment ago, um, triggers happen out of, out of the blue sometimes or randomly in a relationship. And very often when those triggers come up at seemingly out of nowhere, it's like, oh, that's a new one or gosh, I hadn't seen that one before. Then that's a time when I really need to attend to my side of the street or Brian needs to attend to his side of the street and he'll take it at into his own therapy with his therapist, or I'll take it into my therapist if, if it's my issue. And, um, you know, and again, it, it's part of that daily accountability and transparency. This has come up. This is from something that happened in my past or something that I need to attend to, and I'm going to attend to it and so that we can not keep bumping into that landmine again. And, um, it, you know, the, the all of life and recovery and healing, it, we're just getting the different layer, layers of our onion healed. And as we go deeper and deeper and deeper, we run into other things and, and other issues that never seemed to bug us before. But all of a sudden, boom, there they are. 
And that's just part of the beauty of life. You know, that's, that's, that's just the way it is. Well, 100%. And you two have really kind of mastered some major principles that you believe are essential in helping couples to heal. So obviously tip number two was to stay on your side of the street, that their addict has a side, the partner has a side, and the couple has a side. And so you get to navigate and negotiate what's really going on. Do you you ever disagree about that, which side of the street it really is? Oh, yeah. All the time. No, not all the time, but it, of course, of course we do. I mean, and there are times when, you know, one or the other is just completely irrational and enraged because that, that's just what happens. But we also have come to understand that if the other is, is of course, people are going to act out of their, their triggers or out of their woundedness, but we fundamentally know that the other loves and accepts us. I know that Brian loves me and I know that he would not in his whole self ever do anything to hurt me. And and I trust that. And I know that if he's lashing out, that that's his woundedness that's lashing out at me. I may not know it in the moment and I may be really angry in the moment. But when I have a few moments to cool down, I get it. And so does he. Yeah, and I think, Carol, that's been a major shift in our relationship uh, for a number of years now. We both know that we we have each other's back and that we both, we, we neither one of us uh, mean any harm to the other. And so that's, that's a really, really key change. And that takes, that just takes time for couples to see that in my own work as I, Work with couples uh, dealing with this addiction and/or uh, just in general. Sometimes couples just don't. It, it just takes time for them to see that. And as you know, there might couples might not ever see that, and they're still reacting out of their woundedness. There. Absolutely, and I want to get to tip number four because I feel like this is something I learned, believe it or not, from John Gray, the Venus and Mars guy. Um, And that is when there's a difficult conversation, oftentimes if you write it out, you externalize that and you get your feelings and thoughts all organized and it gives the other person a safe place and some safe time to digest it and decide what is the next step. So you two don't conduct difficult conversations Unless it's email or or by text. Well, so what we, what oh, we'll don't. do is if if it's something that's really difficult that I just am not sure how to approach it, or maybe it's something I really want him to think about, I'll I may broach it first by email and just say, you know, let's have a conversation, and here are some of my thoughts. But we, and that that'll give us a chance. First, for me to, as you say, objectify it, put it into writing, be very clear about where I'm coming from, and and be very thoughtful about my language, it gives him a chance from a distance to sort of receive it. But then we will not have a a protect, we will not go back and forth by email. We'll then have the conversation in person. So we'll approach it first by email if it's going to be something that might be difficult or prickly, and then we'll have the conversation in person. It gives each other kind of a heads up that this is something that you want to discuss. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense. And so that's the tip that you give. And then tip number five, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, that's, that's just the whole idea that I know that he does not wish me harm and he knows that I do not wish him harm. And we, not only do we have that faith in each other and that understanding and that fundamental love for each other, but we both have faith in the 12-step programs. You know, so many people have gone through recovery before us 
and and our working the program is really on the shoulders of those people who have gone before us. And we have a complete understanding of how our higher power is at play in our relationship. And and our faith comes into this. We we could not we could not have this relationship if if we didn't have a faith in our higher power. Um it just wouldn't exist. Our faith is such an important part of this. Plus, this idea of a, of a conscious relationship where we intend to really be authentic with each other in a loving way. Um, it's just how we want to be in a couple. And um, and that, that that's just one of our, our fundamental um, principles and beliefs. And at the same time, Carol, that's, that's come through very, very difficult, painful work, persevering um, with one another, uh, choosing not to give up when we were both very frustrated uh, with each other a number of years ago, uh, and then trusting um, our, our therapist, who we had at the time that's now retired, see that, um, you know, just saying basically it does get better. And I think that that's been just over a period of time. And I think the other piece of it is we have been uh, each other's biggest cheerleader. We have both um, realized uh, career goals um, that we never thought were possible. Um, it's, it's amazing. I mean, uh, uh, Jennifer uh, obtained a, uh, a master's, excuse me, a, a doctorate in in um, education, I now have my CSAT, uh, and they're just they're just um, incredible, incredible um, uh, um, achievements. But it's based on a grounded in the healing that we've done individually. But I think how how we really have helped each other heal. Um, I know my life is totally different from my years when I was struggling with my addictive behavior. It really is the fruit and the promises of the 12 steps. I mean, this, this is absolutely the promises. I remember when I would, when I would sit in S&R meetings or in Al-Anon meetings and I would listen to the promises and I would think, oh, my gosh, you know, they, they just seem so unattainable, but, but they really are. I mean, it really, it really does work if you work it. It's, the program really does work, and recovery really does happen. And and I just so it was so important to me in the early days. I just wanted to be a couple that could recover together. I didn't want to become a bitter person and, and go through another divorce. And it really is possible. It really works. Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing your hope, strength, and recovery because sure. there are so many couples that this process is so difficult, and yet. You're a person, you're a couple that, that gives them that kind of strength. How can they get a hold of you if they need to? Well, um, Carol, I, I'm now a, a CSAT, and mm-hmm. I work, for, work um, at a place in the uh, town we live in, Fredericksburg. And the uh, best way to get a hold of me is uh, by my email. Uh, it's Vaughn, that's V-A-U-G-H-A-N dot P-A-X at gmail.com. Um, and then um, my phone number is 540-212-1480. Now, that would be uh, in, in my role as a, as a, as a LPC and a, and a CSAT. Um, oh. and, Thank and you, then, Brian. Uh, you know, we've got about 30 seconds, and so I so appreciate both of you coming on the show, talking about what you do, and I'm sure people will contact you because you're an amazing couple. Yeah. Keep up the good work. And, Carol, you do the same. Please. Thank you so much, Carol. Okay. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Bless- Talk to you later. Have a, have a great night. Okay, you too. Bye, guys. Okay, so there's a couple that's making it work. And for any of you, whether you're single or in a coupleship, there's only going to be one of you at all times. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And 
your life to the next level. I'll talk to you soon with Sex Help with Carol the Coach.